1: Hello and welcome into another edition of the QB Eleven show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by Andrew QB Eleven. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing okay. You know, I got a full week of work starting in the morning. The ducks lost, they're not going to the Pac-Twelve title game. They blew a twenty-one point lead, so you know it could be better. But I'm I'm great. I'm ready to hit the week and hit this pod.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was upset at the time of the game, but I'm uh, I'm over it now. So
1: I'm ready to talk
0: about it. Move on. Uh, clearly, a lot to build off of for this season. So,
1: yeah, you know, sometimes I kind of wish we did had like an immediate reaction show at, right after a game ended, but on a game like this, it's it's good that we don't. Cause you need that kind of 36 hours or so to kind of digest and rewatch and get over the emotional uh, feelings of the moment and, and, and maybe have a little more rational conversation. So obviously Oregon state beat Oregon 38 to 34. Wait, Doug, 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 before we go to the game, there's breaking news, breaking news, breaking news, Oregon offensive coordinator, no longer Oregon's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not that breaking. It's like twenty four hours ago now. But I mean, yeah, who, Kenny who, Dillingham has left to take the head coaching position at Arizona State, his alma mater. It's kind of been swirling out around there for a week or two, and uh, it's official.
0: Yeah, uh, good for Kenny, youngest head coach in Power Five now, replacing Dan. Um, one up, one upped him a little bit. Gets to take over his alma mater. Um, got to watch a little bit of the press conference today. Very emotional for him. Um, clearly, very passionate about his alma mater. So happy for Kent for Dilly. Uh, we appreciate him coming on the podcast when he did, and uh, um, appreciate the the work that he did for Oregon this year. He did a really good job. I know there is a lot of Oregon fans that are upset. Um, really, there is no reason to be upset. This is what all these coaches are, are are working for is to achieve their dreams of most most of them wanting to be head coaches. So when that dream gets realized, it's a really cool thing, and uh, it, I don't think it's going to have a lot of negative consequences for Oregon. So.
1: Yeah, and I think we'll have some questions or, about that you know, in the la- la- back half of the show here if we when we get to some listener questions. But yeah, I mean, obviously, Oregon's had a bit of a bad luck with with coaching turnover timing. You know, when when these dream jobs come open, you know, it would have been nice to get two or three seasons out of out of Dilly. You know, to get some kind of continuity and some some progression built up on the offense and in the program, but it wasn't to be. I wish him the best, obviously, at Arizona State, and whoever Oregon hires is going to be a good hire, and and they're going to keep, um, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll have a good chance to keep things rolling on offense here. You know, Coach Dillingham put in place an offense that was, I think, for most of the season, uh, top three in the country. You might have ended up in the top five to seven range, you know, after the last couple of weeks, after the Knicks injury, but... Uh, be that as it may, you know tremendous improvement in offensive uh, production and efficiency, and and really being multifaceted as a very balanced run-pass offense throughout the course of the season, uh, at least until the last couple of weeks, and that was a big part in Oregon going nine and three this year, given what what the defense was unfortunately throughout the season. And I'm sure we're going to get to the, Kind of breaking down all of that in many episodes over the next few weeks, we'll get into full season breakdowns and offense, defense, and all that. But let's get to this to the Civil War game. You know, as I mentioned, Oregon lost thirty-eight to thirty-four, and and QB. If if I would have told you that Oregon outgained Oregon State by one hundred and fifty yards, uh, won the turnover battle three to zero, held Oregon State to sixty yards passing, and had a twenty-one point lead. With five minutes to go in the third quarter, would you ever in a million years have predicted they would lose that game? Uh, no, but I also
0: wouldn't have predicted that Oregon was going to quit with a 21-point lead, make some of the like most ridiculous bonehead special teams plays. I mean, like, like I don't know. This game was interesting because it, it always is the case when we play the Beavers, but this year specifically – like, we found you new, innovative, and unique ways to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in this game. Um, like, things that I had never seen in a football game before, some things I had seen but, like, just were completely inexplicable. Like, just, just flat-out dropping a perfect snap on a punt on your own one-yard line, letting letting a kickoff land on the one-yard line and then just bounce, like like, some kind of, like, pitching wedge with a spin on it back towards the field. Um, that should have just been a fair catch. Uh, the, the whole thing, there was, there was a lot of completely inexplicable stuff. Um, but there was also a lot of like self inflicted wounds by Oregon. I mean, flat out just Oregon had done a pretty good job to that point. The 31, 10 Mark. I think there's basically two games that were played here. Uh, the first 31 points by Oregon and the first 10 points by Oregon state. And then the remainder, um, and then Oregon just completely packed it in defensively. Like the effort was a problem. And I, I don't like to be one of those people that is like, oh, well the the players just don't care. The players quit. There it was it's it's I feel like that's usually like really casual fan lazy talk. Um, but in this specific instance, like the effort did fall off a cliff. Like guys that were holding their ground and playing off blocks well earlier in that game, all of a sudden were just on skates and and players that were playing players that were playing hard and, uh, and running to the ball and and playing with good motor, just all of a sudden were just disinterested in making tackles and, and and really competing anymore. And um, ultimately it came back to bite Oregon as the, the offense stalled out a little bit at times. Um, Some of that was unfortunate luck. Some of it was poor execution. Some of it was just good play by Oregon state. And so, Really, really disappointing outcome. I think the the the, the, between this and the Washington game, a little bit of a sour sour taste in your gets left in your mouth after this season. Despite the fact that overall it was an extremely positive experience, um, and there was clearly a lot of improvement made and a lot of ground gained.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, (laughs) you know, inexplicable this game. You know, Oregon goes up. You know, twenty eight ten. You know, kind of a slow start this game. A little bit back and forth early. Uh, on both sides, and then you know Oregon really had the great ending of the second quarter, right? They got it, or I'm sorry, the the first half. They yeah they got a they got the interception. They got a touchdown off of that to go up 21-10, and then uh you know Oregon State went three and out, and then they drove down and got another touchdown to go up 28-10. Um, you know they're in the third quarter. You know so it was like a great end of the first half, great start to the third quarter. Really, the game looked to be. Turning into blowout country. And then on the very next position, the, the Beavers fumble again. So Oregon State has the ball. Or I'm sorry, so Oregon has the ball in plus territory, first and ten. And it just felt like man, you go up 35-10, this game's over. And it just it just felt like they kind of I don't know, it just felt like they kind of like went through the motions a little bit on that drive. You know, it stalls out fourth, fourth and four. They kicked the field goal, which was smart. Um, and then you know the beavers at that point drove the whole field in four plays so it's like okay you go 3110 you've built this 21 point lead there's 20 minutes of game time left and then you allow a, a team who has no passing attack at all to go 75 yards and four running plays and and score in less than two minutes yeah you know and then and then okay I mean, and then uh, yeah go ahead you know,
0: before we move on from that like Credit to Jonathan Smith. Like, I made a tweet in this game once, once we went up 31 to 10, like, all right, you have a one dimensional team in a situation where they have to throw to get back in the game. Should be able to tee off on a quarterback that's not very mobile in the pass rush. Um, and Jonathan Smith, like, completely on the Like he saw the tweet and he basically flipped me off through his play calling the rest of the game because he said, you know what? I'm not going to outsmart myself. He's like, the one thing that we can do is we can run the ball and that's what we're going to do. And so he ran the ball the rest of the game and they completely beat our ass up front. Like, excuse the language and we try to keep it somewhat child friendly, but there's really no other way to say it. They kicked our ass. Um, They owned the line of scrimmage. The running backs ran hard. They ran through arm tackles and and poor angles. And um, we got exactly what we deserved. Like we just, we, we, we decided the game was over and there was time left. And in typical beaver plucky fashion, they didn't quit. And so we lost the game. Um, So,
1: yeah, I, I, you know, and then we, okay. So they get that. And then, then we go down and we get a, you know, a first and goal situation and we take a shot at the end zone on first, first down from the 10, and then we run inexplicably, we run out our jumbo package from the 10-yard line, uh, run it right into the line, you know get one yard, essentially completely waste second down. Like it was a completely wasted down. That, that play was never going to go for more than two or three yards. But what difference does it make if you're at third and goal from the seven or the nine or the I mean, it's a wasted play. It's just a wasted play.
0: There's a substantial drop-off in quality when we go to these extra O-line sets. Like (laughs) When it was the tight ends with just Connerly, it worked because those tight ends are good blockers, they're good athletes, and it gives us more flexibility. We went out there with Jones, Connerly, and Ope as three extra offensive linemen running. I mean, really really two extra offensive linemen running seven O-line out there, condensed the formations, allowed them to to just match personnel, put a bunch of big bodies in, and we didn't get nearly the same type of push. Like The, the, the quality drop off from starters to second-level guys, and this is something we'll address in the offseason, was notable, notable. Like like Jones was getting beat across his face. We weren't getting nearly the push that you would expect, and so really you're just playing into Oregon State by doing that. I thought that that was a miscalculation by yeah. the offensive staff because we ran the ball really effectively out of
1: – Eleven spread
0: personnel. Yeah, it was Shredden. very
1: reminiscent of the Washington State game in the first half, right? And then, so then on th- uh, third and goal, we run it again. <laughs> like uh, you know, so it just felt like we just wasted two opportunities. I mean, I think if you got first and goal from the ten, like you've got to, you got to make shots at the end zone.
0: Well, right. And I also.
1: The other thing here too is
0: like they were hoping just a crease would appear, and like here is the deal: I saw some people complaining about Jordan James getting the carries. I don't that I have no problem with that. He ran he ran hard. He protects the ball and he gets tons of yardage after contact. Like I don't have any problem with him being the ball carrier. I have more problems, and and again, this is all like we have we have the benefit of hindsight, right? Like it didn't work, Um, but I just have a problem with us like condensing the field and giving them the advantage. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know without a quarterback who's a viable threat to keep it in boot or run, you're just putting yourself in a bad spot.
1: Yeah. Especially on that drive from the, like I said, goal to go from the 10, right. You know, in the last drive of the game, it was from the five, it's a little bit more understandable why you would try to, to go, you know, power there. Uh, you know, you would have liked to have maybe seen a play action out of it or something after the first couple of of failed attempts and instead of waiting till fourth down. But uh, you know, then, you know, so we kick a field goal. We're still up, we're still up 17 points, which is fine. And it's the fourth quarter, but then what happens? We, we give up a 48 yard kickoff return followed by a face mask to put them, you know, in, in, in first down at the 36. Right. Then we, then we have the fumbled snap on the next play. So their last three touchdown drives were 36, two, and 28 yards. I mean, that's their last 21 points. They never had to go more than 36 yards in their yeah. last three possessions. Uh, you know, and and that, one of that's the fumble snap, which was a perfect snap, by the way. There was nothing wrong with that punt snap at all. It was hit him right in the bread basket, right where it's supposed to be. Uh, the puncher just. <laughs> Uh, just botched it. And then you mentioned, you know, the, what's worse then is every time they score one of those touchdowns, two possessions in a row, we get the ball inside our own 10 because of just boneheaded mistakes, uh, by the kick returning team, right? Like one time you bring it out of the end zone for no reason. And then you get a, a holding penalty on top of it. So you get it out to the 15 and then you get half the distance. So you're inside the 10 and then, then the, the weird non-decision not to fair catch a ball in the field of play that you mentioned earlier and all of a sudden now our next two drives when we really need to put something together we're starting backed up in our own end zone when those both of those should have been should have been coming from the 25 yard line that's a huge difference That's a 17 you know 12 12 13 yard difference in starting field position and it changes your playbook
0: yeah it does again specifically like i'm not this isn't an excuse but acknowledging that without Bo being a threat to use his legs at all, um, because he was a little bit more mobile in this game, but he was never going to run. He had the one scramble where he just kind of like 50% of it and then just went down. But in those situations, you don't have the ability to regain a numbers advantage with your quarterback's legs. You don't, he doesn't have the ability to escape the pocket. If there's a pressure breakdown or some kind of blitz, when you're backed up that, that like, that's everything becomes substantially more risky. Um, And so, yeah, like Joe Lorg, I thought did a a really good job for most of the year. I think our special teams by and large year to year were like vastly improved over a year ago, but this game was one of the worst special teams games that Oregon's had in my lifetime. Like every, (laughs) there, there was just, there was just countless mistakes our kick coverage was poor. Um, we had the blocked punt, which I don't know if I don't know enough about special teams. I'm just going to say that. So I'm going to admit what I don't know here, but it sure seemed that that was some type of scheme breakdown, or they found something that they liked and took advantage of it. I'm not credit to Oregon State for that one. Then you have the drop. You have the drop punt, which is like another completely inexcusable play that's not really on lord like lord can't control a good snap hitting the punter in the chest and them just dropping it um and then you have the the really i think the worst play of the entire game was chris hudson not fair catching a ball that lands at the one yard line on kickoff and instead of allowing it to bounce and stay in play and backing and getting us pinned back at like the six yard line to start that drive yeah, uh, all the key situations all down the stretch too. Like yeah. these weren't these weren't early in the game. <laughs> like those those are the
1: equivalent of turnovers
0: in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, and, and you go back to another play and this wasn't a bad play, just a I mean maybe a good play by the Oregon State defense but or just an unlucky play a little bit, but you're know, on the on the play right before the the dropped punt. You know, Knicks had I think it was either Ferguson or Monteveo wide open, and and he he saw it, and he threw the ball. And you know, credit to the Oregon State linebacker who, who jumped up and got a fingertip on it to knock the play away. And you know maybe it's a, a ball that Bo should have lofted a little more. Maybe his injury didn't allow him to step into the throw the way he normally would. But you know you just go to like that play, like encapsulates. You know, a fingertip is the difference between what would have been a huge Oregon gain. Certainly, you know, deep into Oregon State territory, instead turns into a fourth down, which turns into a fumbled snap, which turns into a you know first and goal at the one. I mean, what a huge turn of, of events that one that one pass defense you know turns out to be. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This it game... is a, yeah, it's a total it's a total team failure. All three phases, as you mentioned. You know, the the offense just couldn't. Couldn't finish the deal in the red zone multiple times. Um, y- you know the the special teams had those six critical air six. When you talk about six special teams breakdowns in a single game, yeah. Like normally it's one, right, or none, right? Ah, we didn't have any special teams breakdowns today. You know, normally or, or maybe a bad game is you have two. We had it... six, <laughs> six. Yeah, and then the defense, like I, I uh, is it, I don't know how you can go the last 20 minutes of game time knowing everyone in the stadium, everyone on TV, everyone watching that game knowing that Oregon State is not even going to do anything other than run the ball and you can't stop it. We're just we're late in this
0: game. That was the closest this season. I mean maybe part maybe late in the Georgia game, but I feel like it's kind of a different circumstance. But that was the closest I've felt to Like the team, the vibe, the energy level felt just like the Utah games from last year. Yes. It was just like we got like the game got the game started to slip. And instead of having a bunch of dogs who are going to go out there and make plays and scrap and fight for it, we just kind of slowly rolled over and gave it to them. The dogs were on the other side. we, We got we got tight. We, we got nervous. I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm guessing here, I'm projecting a little bit, but it it just felt like the game got away from us and we lost all confidence, got tight and just kind of hoped to, to outlast them instead of trying to go make plays and win the damn game. And that, that is really, really frustrating because all year, again, since that Georgia game, that has not ever been a problem for this team against Utah. They didn't do that against UCLA. They didn't do that. Shoot, even in that Washington they didn't, game. Yeah, they didn't do that against they, Washington they either. They didn't yeah. do that either. So for that to come out in the last game, in a game where you're clearly the better team and had outplayed these guys for a large portion of this game, 75 80% of the game, it it, it just it's it's disheartening. And I don't I, I don't think it's a reflection, and, and maybe maybe it's hopeful to not think it is. I don't think that this is a, a negative reflection of the head coach. But I I do think that there is some residual, whether it's because of how much of the personnel is is still remaining, whether it's because of – I don't really know what it is. But, like, the guys that I saw out there scrapping, clawing, and fighting and trying to make plays and continue to win the game were not the guys that had been around here for multiple years. Frankly, it was a lot of young guys. It was either true freshmen or guys that had transferred in, guys like Bucky. Bucky was fighting – for every damn yard on every carry. Noah Whittington was playing his ass off. Chase Cotto was playing really, really hard. Troy Franklin was playing hard. Um, but I, I was honestly really disappointed with the effort that that a lot of guys on defense played with in the front seven. I, I, yeah. I, don't know. It, I, yeah, I, 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 I really – I want to – let me finish this one thing, Doug, really quick. Like, I want to make sure, too, like I, I am not the guy that is like, oh, let's just blame some – random platitude like effort to to explain away getting your ass kicked but th- for there to be such a such a dichotomy between the first 3 quarters of this game and the last quarter and to watch the film on this game and just watch guys just get consumed by blocks and catch blocks and linebackers frankly just not run hard to the ball not really fight fight to get off blocks and make plays that that's just disappointing. Like, I I don't know. I, I, that, that, that can't happen anymore next year. Like that has to be completely excised from this team.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. It felt, uh, honestly, it felt a little bit like, you know, kind of like the 2016 thing, right. Where you had, you had these guys that had been around that, that kind of laid down and, and then you had guys like Troy die, um, you know and Justin and some other younger players who who had the fight right and obviously very different circumstance like where this team is a much better team than 2016 has a much better trajectory a much better roster but you know that one aspect it it gave me some flashbacks to that feeling right and you know one of the one of the criticisms you see people make about Oregon over the years you know is kind of this fair or not fair and i think it's mostly not fair but this like this idea like oh they're entitled they're soft you know they're they're when the chips get down they quit right and i I don't generally think i generally think a lot of that's fan bloviating but you know at times you see some of that come out and you know you look at oregon state right they're down 21 points late in the third quarter they had every reason to quit and they didn't and the and the team that the team that's 21 they they were in the they were in the process of quitting
0: and then oregon decided to just gift them opportunities to get back in the game like we really did like they get that fumble we go down there we we execute offensively we punch that in for a touchdown they 100 were quitting yeah but we just gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and like like you said we like thoroughly outplayed them for the majority of the game but it doesn't matter if you outplay them for three quarters the game doesn't end in three quarters and then this has been somewhat a theme all year. Like there's been times this year where Oregon goes into the end of the third quarter. Like I think BYU is a perfect example of that. They're up 38 to three. And then the next play after the end of the third quarter, we give up a big play for a touchdown. It's like, yeah. you can't like the, the killer instinct has to be coached in. It's going to come with recruiting. It's going to come with talent acquisition and bringing in kids who just don't have that, that like passive gene where they're just satisfied with the win but it's also needs to be coached in and built into the culture. Like I don't I don't again I don't know what happened between 2020 and the end of 2020-2021 and 2020, the Mario era, but I don't care. That that can't be a problem in at the end of 2022 and it certainly can't be a problem in 2023. So that needs to get figured out whether it's by players on the team, whether it's by the new players and, and certainly by the staff and the strength staff this offseason. season. Like th- that soft gene of just being okay with where you're at and, and thinking that you guys can just stop playing and survive with the lead that you've built. That's bullshit. That can't continue.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, anything more you want to talk about with this game?
0: No. Oh, yeah, well, yes. There's a couple There there is some positive things I want to point out in this game, like uh, credit to the offensive line, the starting offensive line. Those guys are all dealing with injuries, every single one of them. And they all played hard and, like Bass was very clearly like ginger on his right ankle, favoring it. You could see it all spatted up. Um, and not not getting his usual push. But he's out there toughing it out, gritting it out. And that's I respect I have a ton of respect for that entire upperclassman group of offensive linemen. Um, just the toughness that they've played with all year. That group deserves all the flowers in the world. Um, the and the other one is Troy Franklin and Chase Coda. Like Franklin was just eating those corners alive all game. Um, and in hindsight, again, this is with the benefit of hindsight. I think that down the stretch there, doing the goal in the red zone, we would have been better off just giving him three or four opportunities, um, because those guys couldn't cover him. And that much was clear. Like Troy Franklin is a full blown dominant receiver. Now he's the best receiver out of Oregon in my lifetime. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he can do next year, uh, and going forward. And chase Coda came back from a, from a really tough knee injury. Um, and made one of the best catches I've ever seen by an Oregon receiver and just played his ass off, played super hard, Um, really really proud of him. And uh, I think a lot of Oregon fans, myself included, maybe discounted what his skill set was coming into the year. Uh, He was a fantastic addition to this team, and I do think that his toughness and the way that he embodied what Oregon football is uh, was really cool to see, and I'm glad that he got to come and have his – his going away season at Oregon like he did and and performed the way he did. So uh, those two guys definitely deserve a shout out.
1: Yeah. Troy finished with eight catches for 78 yards and that, that touchdown, I mean, like you said, that was a, that was a play where we were goal to go from, you know, seven, eight yards out. Right. So similar to the positions we were in later in the game. And I mean, he just made that, you know, kind of quick slant, play look easy. I mean, he broke that guy, at that corner off and, and caught the easiest eight yard touchdown pass you'll ever see. And, uh, you know, one of my criticisms all season really with our kind of deep red zone play calling is that we, we really rarely ever threw the ball to the end zone, right? We, we were very run heavy in the deep red zone, which I don't have a problem with that, but when we threw, we very often threw laterally, right. And we very seldom, actually threw the ball into the end zone. And I think that that hurt us at times. And I think this is a game, you know, and those, those opportunities late in the game, I think you're right. I think why not take chances? You've got Dante, you've got, you've got Troy, you've got chase, you've got the tight end targets, like throw the ball to them in the end zone and good things happen. You're, you're going to get a catch. You're going to get a PI. You're going to get something. Um, I, and I'd like to see that a little bit more. And obviously it's hindsight than, uh, although I have been saying it even before today, but I don't, you know, I think, I think that has a better chance of success on the aggregate than, you know, trying to power run from 10 yards out or do screens constantly from 10 yards out that I just don't think we saw a lot of success with that.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm not like, it's, it's going to be super easy to scapegoat Dilly. And I think a lot of people, a lot of Oregon fans are going to do that given that he's now no longer with the program. And so it's easy to just wash your hands of it and move on. But I, I also think, and I genuinely believe this, that have, having to play with a quarterback who's so limited mobility-wise um, probably changes your approach there in a lot of ways. Because so, all year, one of our biggest weapons in the red zone, I mean, at one point, Nick's was leading the country in red zone touchdowns as, as a runner, um, has been the ability to steal an extra body from the box with, with Nix as a runner incorporate him in the run game, get him on the edge. And we weren't able to do that. And even that last play, like that last play we ran, um, that that's designed to be a sprint out. And I think that if Bo's healthy, I'm not saying that the outcome is different, but it there's an, an added dimension to that concept that doesn't exist with him in his current health.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Um, All right. Any other points on this one? No, uh, just, again, give give credit to the Beavers. Like, they they, they wanted it more. Like, really, they did. Um, hell of a running back, really well-coached offensive line. I think Jim Mahalachek is one of the underrated coaches in this league. So, uh, good job for the Beavers in this game. Yeah, for sure.
1: All right, so let's move on. Um, picks this week, we fared a little bit better than the Ducks did, uh, QB. Uh, you went 7-6 and six on the week, and I – came in at 9 and 4 this week. I think this might have been my best week overall yet this season. So Damn. I was 5 and 2 in the in the Pack 12 games and 4 and 3, sorry, 4 and 2 in the national games. So
0: well done, Doug.
1: Yeah, I I feel pretty good about that one. Although I am still behind you. Uh you're at 66 and 59 on the season and I am at 62 and 63. So I've caught up a little bit, but you're going to Finish
0: above 500.
1: I'm one short right now. So, yeah, if I can pick the, the games next week, right, then we'll be there.
0: Yeah. Um, also want to point out, this is a this is a big win. And honestly, if I would have really believed in it more myself, I think I would have been better off this season. The Colorado principal, which is going to be retired now, um, as they're going to look to hire a new head coach, they were 2-10 against the spread. So if we bet against Colorado, uh, whoever's playing them to cover, you won ten times and lost twice this year. So, uh, good year for the Colorado principal. Um, sad to see it die. Maybe we'll have another team next year. Uh, what as we
1: start to preview teams and, and look look forward. Yeah, we'll see if there's a new principal from a new team for next year. But yeah, uh, that was insane, especially considering the size of the line. Right? Like a lot of teams, a lot of teams do bad against the spread every year, right? But to be two and ten against spreads that are routinely in the thirty plus range in conference play is another kind of special altogether.
0: Yeah, and amid some some completely outrageous like like. Hot, hot, uh, hot take pieces from Kanzano today, including some like rage pieces for about some booster who lost money on a on a suite. It's like, yeah, that same booster, I'm sure is the one that fed you the Wilcox BS last year. And Wilcox is the only one that couldn't beat the Cal Prince or the Colorado principal. You freaking lost heads up against those guys. So Yeah, I'm I'm sick of hearing about how Wilcox would have we wouldn't have lost against Oregon State with Wilcox. Are you kidding me? We would have been six and six with Wilcox.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) With a with an exodus of talent. You know what? But he'd never leave QB. Yeah, we could be mediocre forever. Exactly. Exactly. That'd be fantastic. What, so yeah. Let's get to these games. Um, you mentioned the Colorado one. They got their doors blown off by Utah, sixty-three to twenty-one. I think it was it was even worse than that. They put up twenty-one in the second half, probably against Utah's third team. So Utah punches their ticket to the Pac-12 title game by virtue of Oregon's loss to Oregon State. So they'll be back in Vegas. Uh, I think this is their fourth Pac-12 title game appearance in the last five seasons. Um, so good for Utah. They're going to take on USC and, uh, go Utes. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot to say. I didn't watch this game, but, uh, I saw the score and felt vindicated. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, USC, we'll talk about them. They took care of business at home against Notre Dame 38, 27. Caleb Williams is definitely the, the front runner now for the Heisman. I think he's been trending in that direction the last couple weeks, but he might have put a bow on it in this game. No, he
0: he is absurd. Like his his talent is just <laughs> like he he has some of the best burst and explosiveness for a quarterback I've ever seen. Like he's right up there with like he's like a, a shelf below Vic and and Lamar Jackson. Um but he has just disgusting arm talent. Like he has this this innate feel for inescapability from the pocket. And then he can just throw absolute missiles off platform. Um, yeah, he is, he is scary. And the fact that he has to come back for another year of college football uh, doesn't bode well for the conference.
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, he had 232 passing on just 22 attempts and a touchdown and then three more touchdowns on the ground. So uh, they're punching their ticket. They, if they win in Vegas, they will undoubtedly be in the college football playoffs. Uh, Utah would like to knock them out and make it to the Rose Bowl, in which case USC will, will almost certainly end up in the Cotton Bowl in that scenario. But um, that's, that's where the stands on the Pac-12 title and college football playoff implications. Let's move over to Stanford. Uh, Stanford completes another abysmal season, which will be David Shaw's last, announcing last night that he was stepping down as the coach of the Stanford Cardinal. Three and nine for Stanford after losing 35-26 to BYU.
0: Yeah, um, I think we both picked this one. It They they just are so bad. And I understand that that Shaw is loyal to his guys. And frankly, I don't think that all the problems at Stanford are his fault. I think there's a lot of institutional barriers to success there. Um, Since the early signing day came into effect, uh, we've talked about kind of the issues getting admittance and then uh, also the ability to redshirt and keep guys because if they don't qualify for grad school like a normal student, they don't get in and they just have to leave and then they can't bring any transfers in. So like there's a lot of in modern college football, there's a lot of barriers to success at Stanford, but I don't think Shaw did himself any favors, never fired a coach at any point in um, his tenure as the Stanford coach, which is pretty wild to consider, uh, especially when you've been losing for as many years consecutively as they have. Uh, but t- sad to see him go. Uh, if I feel like he was a good spokesperson for, for college football at times, and I think he's a, a good guy and, and clearly a pretty accomplished coach. So um, I think he'll do a good job at the NFL Network or wh- whatever he decides to do. I'm really, really intrigued to see what direction Stanford goes from here, though.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if he's interested in getting back in coaching, but if he is, this seems like the perfect job for Chris Peterson.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I think if, if he's interested, that would—I mean—that you probably couldn't do better than that. Uh, he's like a rich man's version of Shaw, a much better football coach. But I could also see them decide to just go like total military academy triple option.
1: <laughs> yeah, why not? So Be
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, what's there? I don't know what their commitment level is. I mean, they really they need to figure out a way to keep guys in the program um, that are fifth year guys, because that's they what care. that's they the care kind of <laughs> Yeah.
1: If they actually care. I mean, that's that's a question. So we'll find out. Well, rivalry weekend in the Pac-12 did not disappoint in, in addition to the uh, Civil War game we talked about. The Territorial Cup was was another good one. 38-35 Arizona wins at home to finish 5 and 7, just missing the bowl game uh opportunity there. They took the Territorial Cup. I think their first win in 6 seasons over Arizona State, uh, who will obviously hire Kenny Dillingham and retool for next year, but uh, Wildcats, you know, finished strong this season after one win last year, one maybe one the year before, so 5 and 7 for Arizona this year.
0: Yeah. Really, really good, uh, really good season for Arizona. It's kind of weird to say that after a losing season, but just they, they got they, when you consider the team that they were in 2021 to the team that they ended as in 2022. They improved more than I mean, obviously USC improved more, but other than USC, um, oh man, probably Washington. Okay, so maybe they didn't improve more than anybody else, uh, but they they did get a lot better. Um, and for a program that has been in the dumps as long as Arizona has. I think you've got to be really, really happy with that. And I think it kind of sets them up now, with a pretty young team with quite a bit of talent as a team that has a shot to to really compete um, for a bowl game next
1: year. Absolutely, I think the different you could different thing you could say about USC and Washington is even though those teams you know improved by seven and six games respectively, I'm sorry, seven, yeah, seven and six games respectively in the win-loss column, neither of those teams were four-win-talented teams last year, right? I mean, it was a combination of, right, so whereas Arizona absolutely was a talent-deficient team a year ago, so in some ways, you know, maybe it's just as impressive or more so. I mean, you know, USC and Washington's, like, natural talent level would be in the seven to eight-plus, you know, win range with a average coaching, so whatever, but...
0: Yeah, no, I I, I see what you're saying, and I don't disagree. But regardless, Jed Fish has done a really good job there. Um, The Territorial Cup is going to be really fun now with him and and Kenny uh, down down in Arizona. So that's going to be competitive. Um, That second tier of Arizona talent is going to be quite the brawl between those two. So it should be fun, some good recruiting battles.
1: Yeah, Cal was game uh, at home against UCLA for a while, and but they inter- UCLA won the game 35-28. Cal kept it close as long as they could, but DTR and Chip go out 9-3 and three on the season. Not It was a disappointing season for UCLA in the sense that I think they had their sights set on, on a little bit higher this year with kind of everybody coming back. They wanted a packed whole title run and, of course, the way they started the season, but uh you know the Arizona loss just really derailed them a few weeks back and and they they finished up 9 and 3 they're they're going to be you know probably in the probably in the Las Vegas Bowl would be my guess potentially the Holiday Bowl one of those two uh Oregon will be the uh, in the other Oregon and USC will be in those two games just a matter of which one is in which game but um yeah uh 9 and 3 for UCLA. Yeah,
0: good season. Um it's going to be quite the rebuild for Chip this offseason. I'm interested to see um, what they're able to get done in a very competitive transfer portal. So, uh, yeah, good good year overall, Cal Stinks. Um, glad glad that uh, Chip and DTR got that win to get tonight.
1: Yeah, so Apple Cup uh, did not disappoint. Washington, at Washington State, 7.30 kickoff last night. This game, you know, in a roundabout way, determined whether Oregon or Utah was going to face USC in the Pac-12 title game, and Washington's win put Utah in. It was a close game. It was a shootout for a while. It ended up being 51-33, but the game was was pretty much closer than that score. Washington kind of piled on some points in the fourth quarter and ran away with it. it. It kind of felt like, I watched this game, it felt like, even though it was going back and forth, it just felt like a game that Washington was going to win all along. It just trusted their firepower to last longer than Washington State's did, and that turned out to be the case in this one. Uh, but you know, Washington State finished a seven and five on the year. Uh, they'll probably be in the L.A. Bowl, and Washington ten and two. You know, after their four and eight season last year, ten and two really impressive. They got a, if USC makes the playoffs, Washington is almost certainly going to be in the Rose bowl as their replacement. Um, if not, they will be in the Alamo bowl. So outside shot at the cotton, but they need some losses ahead of them to make it that far, but great season for Washington, 10 and two Michael Penix, you know, 485 yards in this one to, to finish off a, just a magnificent season for him.
0: Yeah. Super productive. Great season. Um, Odunze and McMillan were just, like way too much for Washington State to handle. We kind of talked about that on the preview. Um, Cam Ward was a like a kind of an interesting case study this year. Uh, at times, the best player on the field. At other times, like uh, so unbelievably inaccurate and inconsistent and untrustworthy. Uh, I I think that this UC this Washington State team. Uh, a lot of people are going to look at this. They're going to see that Cam Ward is done. This was his last year of eligible, eligibility. They're going to downgrade Washington State. I'm, I'm actually really interested to see what they can bring in at quarterback or what they can develop on a roster because I think that there's quite a bit of juice to squeeze in this offense um, if they can kind of Im- make some improvements along the offensive line and get a better quarterback in. So uh, I, I, I really like Jake Dickert. I think he's doing a good job there. De uh, DeBoer, excellent coach. Uh, offense has been tremendous. I'm sure that Washington, uh, like Oregon, is looking forward to an opportunity to improve their defense this offseason. Uh, again, great year for Pennix and, and the Huskies and substantially outperformed expectations. So uh, good, good for them and uh, look at, looking forward to, to
1: seeing what, what the future brings. All right, let's move over to the national games. Let's start with uh, Baylor at Texas. So Texas won this game uh, I think by 11. So we both picked them to win as well. And it's, uh, they did not end up making it to the big 12 title game though, as they needed some help. They needed a Kansas state loss and they didn't get it. So it'll be Kansas state versus TCU for the big 12 title. But, um, Texas ends the year eight and four, which I think is a pretty disappointing season for them considering what they thought they were going to be coming into this year.
0: Yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, they, they went through, they took their lumps with, with the young quarterback this season. Quinn Ewers was good at times, horrible at others, kind of like the typical freshman quarterback thing. Uh, really, re- really, I think a talented team, Bijan John Robinson, Roshon Johnson, probably one of the better two back tandems in all of college football right up there with Michigan and Ohio state, uh, they, they were just too much to handle for Baylor. Ba- Baylor's run defense without Siaki Ika really falls off. They really struggled to stop the run in this game. Um, and, and Texas just kind of exercised that talent advantage that they have. So uh, good, good game. Not the season that I think Baylor fans were expecting, but they also had some pretty unfortunate bounces.
1: Yeah, for sure uh florida at florida state Uh, we had the seminoles on this one to cover the nine and a half they won the game 45 38 did not cover so we both missed this one uh but pretty pretty entertaining game i think they were trending to cover this but florida kind of backdoored it a little bit at the end of the game there jordan travis had a really good game 270 through the air, through the air over almost 350 yards total three touchdowns trey benson Uh, Really another strong game for him, 111 and three touchdowns in this one and Florida State. It's just a better team.
0: Yeah, a lot of Oregon fans don't realize how nasty that injury was that Benson had in practice at Oregon. Like, that was a serious, like, two-year recovery injury. And to see him come back and be back to full speed again, uh, Jim Mastro, when he was at Oregon, favored Trey Benson over Bijan Robinson and Kendall Milton, who were both five stars in the same class, uh, and a lot of people thought he was crazy for that. I, I think Bijan's a better player, but I would I'd rather have Trey Benson than Kendall Milton uh, at this stage in their career. And, and Trey Benson is legitimately going to be a, a pretty, I mean, relative to running backs, right? Because running backs aren't getting drafted high in the NFL draft anymore, uh, except for rare occasions. He's going to be a pretty high valued running back coming out and. Uh, just really happy for him. Glad to see him succeed and be healthy. So good good for him. Great game. Uh, this is one of my favorite rivalries in college football. Um, those Florida schools just get after each other.
1: Yeah, Trey, 965 yards and nine touchdowns on the year. Almost seven yards per carry. So really productive season for him. Um, some other former Ducks in this game, Micah Pittman finishes the year with 29 catches, and three touchdowns, uh, former Duck commit, but former Arizona State car, uh, Arizona State Sun Devil, Johnny Wilson, 695 yards and five touchdowns on the, on the year for him. So, you know, for, for Duck fans who kind of look at that stuff that you know, there's a lot of, a lot of connections on this team and some, some success there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like Jordan Travis too, uh, a really good story, like someone that really was more of an athlete coming in and has be, has really developed um, through the tutelage of, of Dillingham and Norvell into one of the better quarterbacks in college football this year, Like especially running his system, running that offense. He was tremendous in this game. Um, and, and just overall, like good for Florida State. They, that's a really proud uh, traditional program that Jimbo Fisher left in the absolute dumps. Uh, it's taken a while, and it's taken a couple coaches to get it figured out, but it seems that they're starting to turn the corner and kind of become that great Florida State program again.
1: Yep. Uh, Alabama, Auburn, Iron Bowl, no no real contest here. 49-27, Crimson Tide uh, beat the spread by half a point, so we'll take that one. Bryce Young kind of got back on track, 343, three touchdowns. Alabama's probably going to end up in the Sugar Bowl now with LSU having gotten knocked off by hey, – uh texas a&m yesterday so um yeah it's a sugar bowl is a, a disappointment for them but it's still a pretty good place to be
0: yeah absolutely not a really competitive game bam is just a much better team
1: yeah let's see we got uh the egg bowl mississippi state and ole miss this one was on thanksgiving was actually made made my thanksgiving because i don't really watch the nfl So the fact I was able to sit at my in-laws house and watch college football and actually what was a really entertaining college football game made my day much, much better. Uh, Mississippi state goes into Oxford, pulls off the the upset 24 to 22. Both teams end up eight and four on the season and four and four in the conference. So it's about what we expected from an egg bowl and from those two teams.
0: Yeah. Great game. Uh, leach leach versus kiffin's always fun like talk about two personalities in in the coaching profession uh lane kiffin there's a lot of a lot of rumors about him going to auburn uh turns out he's going to remain at mississippi which i think is good for the sport good for the sec conference um auburn really struggling to find their guy right now so we'll see what, what ends up going on there but uh cool for the egg bowl to k- keep these two quirky coaches getting after each other every year.
1: Yeah. Moving over to the big 10, uh, Minnesota golden gophers win Paul Bunyan's ax, um, by going into Wisconsin and knocking off the Badgers who now have a new, uh, head football coach. George yeah. Pickle. Yeah. So no, you're fired up about this. I've
0: never been more excited to lose the ax. Cause you know what? Sometimes you got to lose the battle to win the war and the war has now been won. Um, The Badgers are spending money on football for the first time since before Barry Alvarez was the head coach. And really, I'm not sure that they ever spent money on football ever. Uh, It's been kind of an OKG. We win with our kind of guys. We don't really try to recruit the top players. We're not really going to pay our coaches and have the big assistant pool. We're not going to have the good facilities. That's been kind of the MO of the Wisconsin program. And they've had tremendous success with that. And so. It's not all for naught, but now it's time to, to mobilize all that Big Ten money, all of that booster money that they've always had, um, and, and really become the program I think that they've always had the potential to be. Uh, I there's, there's no reason that Wisconsin can't be competing in the current Big Ten with Penn State to be the third best program. In um, and the and the new Big Ten, probably with Penn State and Nebraska to be the fourth best program. So this is going to be uh, it's going to be really fun. I'm really excited as a, as a Wisconsin fan for the future under Luke Fickle. Um, I think he's going to modernize a lot of aspects of this program. And for him to be coming and taking this job, given his profile as a coach, to me signals that there's a lot of investment. So, yep, Minnesota gets the axe, but uh, PJ Fleck is going to be food for for this Wisconsin team once
1: uh, fickle gets them up and running so that leaves us with of course uh, the game uh, Michigan goes into Ohio Stadium and just absolutely steamrolls Ohio State 45-23 um, you know pretty dominant win against the Buckeyes I we both picked Michigan you know to cover the seven and a half point uh, spread there I don't think we necessarily thought they would win but we thought that we didn't we didn't like Ohio State by a touchdown or more and and Michigan just rolled up on them 530 30 yards of offense 250 on the ground uh the, the, one of their best passing games of the season um, in an area that they haven't been particularly good at and jj mccarthy threw for 260 and three scores and uh you know credit to michigan they they've won two in a row in this series now and and ryan day is i think the first ohio state coach to lose two straight to to michigan in quite some time
0: yes i've got a couple things like Coming into the season, I was pretty optimistic and bullish. I believe you were too on Michigan, as long as they made the change to J.J. McCarthy. And I think we, like in saying that, I expected that their passing game would improve by having McCarthy. And it really hadn't for the most part this year. It was kind of the same old Michigan offense. There was a lot of inconsistency, rumors of a shoulder injury. Who knows what the real problem was, but they weren't really hitting the deep shots. Um, And then in this game, it kind of the, the light bulb flickered a little bit, and we got to see what it looks like when JJ um, McCarthy is playing up to his really really high skill ceiling, um, and 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 how it elevated the Michigan offense. I mean, Michigan was without Blake Corum, who's a legitimate Heisman contender at running back, one of the three or four best backs in all of college football. Donovan Edwards, the backup, who's an extremely talented player in his own right, was play excuse me playing with a club uh, broken hand, and he in one of his best aspects is that he could essentially play receiver and he'd probably be their best receiver if he did. Um, So really removing the ability to throw him the ball, which had been a big part of their offense to see Michigan with down two really major cogs in their offense, or at least not have them at hundred percent, just absolutely kick the crap out of Ohio state and physically dominate them and break their will over the course of four quarters. Like I, I thought that that was a one-off last year in the way that it happened and now i i really think that there is some like cultural softness in this ohio state program that they have to get figured out or else ryan day is not going to get a whole lot more time
1: yeah yeah you're not going to get get away uh with losing losing uh to michigan for for too many more years before you get shown the door i don't care, you know, what other kind of things you've done, that's that's a, a big deal up there. So I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, if you, you go back to last year, right, I mm-hmm. mean, the way Oregon was able to run the ball on them, the way Michigan was able to run the ball on them, I think some other teams throughout last season uh, just dominate their line. And, you know, you kind of thought, OK, they changed their personnel. They were going to make some improvements, make some changes this year, and they would be past that. But it doesn't look like it doesn't
0: look like it. No, it doesn't. I think they improved in a lot of ways defensively. Um but the I don't know, they kind of pulled an Oregon late in this game. Like things started to go against them. They got tight and they kind of rolled over and let Michigan take it. And uh I don't know. I our Urban Meyer teams didn't do that at Ohio State. They really didn't. Um no. so uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think that he's going to get fired this year.
1: No, no. But
0: if if they lose to them again next year, he absolutely will get fired. Because there, there there are three goals at Ohio State. Beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and win a national title. And if you're consistently failing to achieve even one of those three, then you you're not gonna let last at Ohio State. They have too much money. It's too much of a brand powerhouse. Um that they they have so many advantages that that, that kind of like you could go eleven and one every year and lose to Michigan, and you're
1: gonna get your ass canned. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, they, they still got a shot to make the playoffs if, if USC or, or maybe TCU lose uh, the conference title game. But uh, I don't think they deserve it. Um, you know, they're 11-1, but they haven't exactly beaten a lot of good teams. So I think, what, Penn State's their best win? Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have to be.
1: Notre Dame, maybe, I guess. Yeah. One of those yeah. two, but
0: I mean, Penn State's better than it, fall,
1: it falls off pretty quickly after those two, though, and I do not think I do not think a I don't think a non-division champion who's not playing in their in their conference title game, you know, should should be able to back their way into the playoffs unless they have an insane, an insanely good schedule. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't expect that to to work out for them anyway. In anyway, but we'll see. And we'll talk about all the conference title games and preview all those and all the playoff possibilities and bowl games on our. On our Thursday show, when, uh, along with our listener questions, we'll hold those over. I know we're coming up on time, so we'll hold those over for Thursday as well. That'll give us a, a nice full episode on Thursday. But we should finish off this one with our, uh, I guess, final Pac-12 power rankings.
0: Yeah, I mean, over the year, you can assume that we'll flip the top two depending on who wins. Yeah. Uh, for me, the top two are the two teams in the Pac-12 title. I'm going we're gonna go in reverse order here for me. Uh, okay. I got USC one, Utah two. Me as I mean, well. Pretty self-explanatory there. Uh, I got Washington three. I also have Washington
1: at three. I've got Oregon at four. I also have Oregon at four. UCLA five. I have Oregon State at five. That's fair. I can see that. They
0: didn't play each other, so it's kind of tough. Um, main reason I got UCLA is I think the Washington win is better than
1: – oh no. Oh. I think, I think I liked the way Oregon state finished the year where, where UCLA kind of like, kind of like lived home, you know, losing two out of their last three. I thought Oregon state, I
0: kind of disagree because Oregon state had an opportunity to beat USC and they didn't. Um, and UCLA didn't either, but like it was kind of a trap game when USC went to Corvallis, it was not a trap game at all. When UCLA played them, Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I thought that they played them in a bigger spot, more competitively. Frankly, I thought that USC really just couldn't get out of their own way in a very similar way that that we couldn't in, in Corvallis. Um, so okay. I don't know. That's I, I can I can understand either way. They're they're right there. Yeah. Um, I've got Wazoo at seven. Agreed. Arizona at eight. Yep. Uh, and then the the four stooges at, of Cal, ASU, Stanford, and
1: Colorado rounding out the bottom. Yeah, I've got ASU, Cal, Stanford, Colorado. So I think we're flip flopped on Cal and ASU again. But other than that, yeah, we're we're all aligned there. So that will round out this this uh, this season's power rankings. Like you said, if Utah knocks off USC, we'll flip flop those two. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I overall strong season. I don't know. We'll, we'll do we'll do like season review stuff. We'll do our our, uh, our final season review with Day. Uh, at some point here in the next week or two, we've got recruiting content coming up. Um, obviously we're going to be breaking down. I'm going to have to find time to watch a bunch of film on a new offensive coordinator hire a uh, lot, lot of stuff here coming on the pod. So we're definitely going to keep uh, the two episode a week tempo here. I would think to through signing day yeah. um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll reevaluate and kind of see where things are at. But with the, with the transfer portal opening on December 5th, um, conference championship weekend coming up we'll do previews for all of those games there, there's a lot coming still and uh, a lot to look forward to for ducks fans so keep, keep, keep tuned in and um, make sure to follow the pod at qb11 show on twitter uh, really appreciate everybody hope you guys all had a wonderful thanksgiving holiday uh, and we will talk to you guys on thursday